The future belongs to those who see the possibilities before they become obvious. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Friday, February 19th, Neil and Paul back after a two-week hiatus. No better way than to come back from the hiatus fully swinging and disrupting. <laughs> Today we are going to disrupt the CX world and we're going to do it not by ourselves, but with a thought leader who is an expert in the field of disruption. Put on your seatbelts. This one is going to be disruptive. We're going to get rude and arm wrestle and have it out, but we're going we're to have a good time here. Charlene Lee, welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires. It is wonderful to have you as our guest today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, those of you that are not familiar with Charlene Lee, please become familiar with her. She is the author of The Disruption Mindset. Why is that important? We all know that disruption is important in all of our businesses. But in the CX world, her book was listed by the Qualtrics uh, list that just came out as one of the 10 books that every CX leader should read in 2021. And you are going to see when we get into this conversation that we haven't even had yet, but that Paul and I were able to have a little fun with directly before we hit the record button. This is going to be a good one. We're going to, we're going to get into this thing and, and start to disrupt and understand how do you actually disrupt? Why you disrupt and, 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 and what's the best way to do it? Um, if you haven't followed Charlene Lee, I'm going to read off from her LinkedIn profile. Charlene Lee is the founder and senior fellow at Altimeter, a profit company. Uh, she is also a, an active member in YPO, Young Presidents Organization. Um, Charlene, tell us what Altimeter is for those that don't know. Um, we are an analyst firm. So similar, I, I was at Forrester for 10 years and when I left in 2008, started this disruptive analyst firm. And uh, we, we cover topics holistically, things that are on the horizon uh, that people may not know that much about. And we also have a disruptive business model in that we don't charge subscriptions, we actually give it away which is hard model to compete against if you're one of the incumbents. And so we, we've grown and in 2015, I sold the company to Profit, uh, which is a consulting firm and I'm still there, um, happily so, uh, working again still as an analyst and also offering books like the Disruption Mindset. So th thank you for that. So in the business world again, we all hear disruption, 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 and we all hear of these massive companies that have uh, been responsible for disruption. A few that come to mind, you certainly refer to them in your books. Uber is one of them. Uh, I would say Amazon is one, you know, way back when. Uh, Apple, uh, Netflix, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What the heck does, does disruption have to do with customers? I'm not sure we always think about disruption in customers. Help us tie the two together. Sure. Yeah, when I looked at these disruptive companies, and there were other ones that I talk about in the book, people like ING Bank in Europe, Southern New Hampshire University, even McKinsey. These are case examples of non-tech companies who are also being very disruptive. What is it that they do? How do they continuously disrupt themselves and, and cause exponential growth and impact in their industries and in society? And, and there's something in the water of these companies. They're like the Energizer Bunny of companies of disruption. Like, where, how do they keep doing it and not get fatigued? And what I found was that they have one thing, one thing that they do very, very well. 
And that is a focus on their customer, but their future customer, not their current customer, future customer. It's like Wayne Gretzky saying, I don't skate to where the puck is, I skate to where the puck is going to be. That's what these companies are doing. That's what these leaders are doing. And they were able to align the entire organization on that future. And that allows them to do one thing. And that is to make the sacrifices, those hard decisions today in order to make that future come true. And the experience is all underlying this. You cannot focus on that future customer unless you can identify the kind of experience they need and want. This isn't about selling things to them. This is not a buyer. This is a customer. And they may or may not buy from you. But you have to fall in love with them if you ever hope to be able to reach them. It's a powerful thought. So Paul and I both love sports. Uh, I admit, I don't know a darn thing about hockey. Paul, I'm not sure if you do. No. Uh, but the thought of what Wayne Gretzky said and, and how we tie it into the business world and more important, those of us that, that work with customers, if you could repeat that line, because it really resonates about a puck. Yeah, I, the, he would say, I, actually it was his father who said this to him and trained him. He said, don't skate to where the puck is, because that's what everyone is going to go towards. Skate to where the puck is going to be. And there's a lovely story about this. I mean, he's an incredibly gifted athlete, but as a child, his father would put him in front of the television and he would sketch out on a pad of paper where the puck was going on the rink. And he would look down and see and analyze and remember it in his head. And he trained himself to anticipate that if I saw this formation in this situation, this is where the puck is going to be. And so you have to train yourself. You have to prepare yourself to go after where those future customers are. It doesn't just come easily. And after hours and hours of doing this, watching television and then watching it on the ice, he was able to perfect and read the ice, literally read the situation and know where that puck is going to be. And miraculously, he would be there. Like, how did he do that? It's like magic. But it's not. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah, I, I love that quote. Um, there's, a, there's two other quotes before we get a little further into the discussion. There's other quotes. I got to them written down that I just love from your book. Um, Disruption doesn't create growth. Yes. yes. Growth creates disruption. Wow. I love that. I, I, I read that like, wow, that's really catchy, but like, what the heck does that mean? I had to read about 45 different times. Disruption doesn't <laughs> create growth. Growth creates disruption. Explain that to us a little bit. That, that's just some heavy meaning behind that. Yes. Um, as a technology analyst, I have been battling companies and leaders coming to me say, saying, what's the next disruptive technology or innovation we need to be aware of so we can use that to create growth? And I can tell you it's never about a technology. I can 100% assure you it's not about technology. Uber, what technology do they have that was new? They just used the location systems that were in your phone and figured out there was a need over here and connected the two. There was no new technology there. What's instead happening is that what we should be doing is thinking about what growth we want to have. And here's the thing. We know what we need to do to grow and grow exponentially. But we don't do it because we get to that very edge, like, let's go, let's grow. And like, whoa, if we do this, it's going to be incredibly hard. We're going to have to change everything that we do. We're going to drop every assumption and take on new ones. We're going to tear apart the way we work and actually work in new ways. That's too much. That's too scary. We're going to come back from that little bitch. 
And I see this happening over and over and over again. I go to companies, they go, oh yeah, we know exactly what kind of a customer experience we want to have. But that would require these two departments to work together and they won't, so we won't do it. Exactly. Right. I want to read one other quote before we jump into the uh, tie this all back to, to customer experience. The other favorite quote, innovation is the snooze button of corporate <laughs> strategy. Whoa. Innovation is the snooze button of corporate strategy. What? What a great line. But what does that mean? Explain um, that one to us. Sure. I mean, people are like, oh, let's go do innovation. Great. You people do it over there. We're going to keep running the ship. We're just going to keep plowing straight ahead. You guys go over there and figure it out. And when you're ready with it, come back over here. You just put off the hard work of actually changing your business because you don't want to change the business. You just put a snooze on it and hope that it goes away and that these folks over here, these poor schmucks, basically <laughs> figure it out, some, some Goldilocks solution that is going to push us forward but not push us forward to the point where we're uncomfortable, that we really have to steer the ship in a different way. Just a snooze it. You know, it, there, there is no easy button for innovation here. And that's why I think disruption is having an honest conversation versus the false promise that innovation has for you. We go into the innovation theater, as I like to say. We go over to that one little special place where innovation happens. So you go all and, and like just so excited about the possibilities of the future. We stand up and applause and we walk out to reality and nothing has changed. That's what innovation looks like in most organizations. Instead, if you have an honest conversation and say it's going to be hard, it's going to be disruptive, then we might actually make some progress. So you just helped me tie this back to customer experience and, and customer care. I have said, I, I even said it last week in a webinar, and I've said it for a bunch of years, and it might be the only intelligent thing I've said. There is no such thing as the contact center. You can fill in the blank. Contact center, call center, customer care, whatever you want. There is no such thing as the contact center easy button. There's no easy button. It requires hard work. It requires blood, sweat, and tears. It requires stress. It requires discomfort. It really does. You can't just tell the guys over there, the four schmucks you, you refer to, go over there, go innovate. Let me know when you wake up. Come back to me in three, three months or so, right? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Right. I mean, your customers are banging on the door. Your customers, the people who pay you, who want to pay you more money, they're banging on the door to talk to you. They're, they're calling on the phone and you're refusing to pick it up. You're refusing to answer the door. These are your customers. And yeah, the conversations are gonna be difficult sometimes, but if you truly are committed to them, they will feel it, they will know it. They will know, feel like they are known. That's all we want as customers is for you to know me. I want you to know me. Why don't you want to know me? Why are you telling me and spewing all this at company policy, sorry, we can't help you, whatever. And no, no, I mean, that's not acceptable in this world, not today. Our expectations are, have been set by every other customer experience that we've had. The bar is up here for all customer experiences, not just the ones that are set by your industry and your competitors. So it sounds like you're talking something about empathy. <laughs> Jumping on to empathy, you're getting there, the E word, the empathy. Is that what's going on here? Oh, yeah. I mean, empathy is one of the most powerful and most difficult things to do. It's incredibly hard to do because it requires that you step out of your own bias, your own perspective, and sit in the shoes of your customers. 
and you want to go there because you love your customers, right? You truly love them. Or, or do we just say that? We love our customers, but only to a certain extent, only to the point where we feel comfortable. Empathy requires that you move out of your comfort zone and sit in their shoes and feel uncomfortable. Really, truly know them and see them. And they can so feel we, that you have empathy for them. So how do we actually disrupt that? Because I, I agree with you. We all talk about customers and they're diverse. We know they're difficult and, and they're angry and all that stuff that we think about them, you know, the ones that are over there in the cage in the zoo, right? How do we disrupt that process and actually get to know them? I, I love this one tool that's it's, it's a standard tool in the customer experience toolbox called the empathy map. And it says, take your customer, and in this case, your future customer, and understand what is it that they see, what do they think, what do they feel, what do they do. And I guarantee you those are four different things. Stand in their shoes. Don't try to say, how do they buy? And not, just understand who they are. Stand in their shoes. Create this empathy map. And then ask other people to participate in creating that map. In the good old days when we could gather around a whiteboard and put sticky notes kind of idea, right? Like just stand in their shoes, all of us in the room, stand in the shoes of this customer. Don't describe their demographics or psychographics. Talk about their world. And then if you want to take it to an advanced level, once they're once you interact with them, how should they think, feel, say, and do? So the thing is, I've, I've yet to see a single persona ever used at the front lines. Of all these beautiful personas that we put together, do we actually use them on a day-to-day -day basis? Do we put them together in our marketing plans? Do we use them when we're thinking about when we're on a call with a client or a customer? If you have an empathy map, you don't need to pull up. You visualize that. You remember having sat in their shoes. And you have empathy for this really angry customer on the other line. And you are just in love with them in that moment. You have such love for that because you have been there for them. That, of course, you're going to take care of them. Because it felt awful. I get it. I get how awful it feels. And they will feel known. Even if you can't solve a problem, at least they will feel like you understand them. And that's half the battle. You're on their side. Don't we just easily classify everyone into that one bucket of angry customers. They're all angry customers. But it sounds like they're not. Not, not according to you. You have to actually do a map. There's personality types. There's personas to customers. Yeah, I mean, that, that particular customer may be angry at that moment. But what is it that they're feeling, seeing, thinking, and doing? And feel it. But they could also just as easily be a not angry customer. Like, what's in their life that's triggering that you have this, this problem that they have? What stress is it? You may never know. You just know that they're here. And because I'm in love with that customer, regardless how they're feeling in that moment, because I love them and I believe in them and I believe in serving them and helping them, I will do everything possible to alleviate that anger, that feeling of, of discombobulation. And, and that's what's needed. We need to make sure that every single person in our organizations falls in love with our future customer. Because they're so scarce, if you can find them, I mean, and that requires that you fall in love with your current customers. That's easy. They're standing right in front of you. They're demanding your attention. They're, they're easy to address in some ways. But that future customer, how will you recognize them if you happen to come across them? And what happens in organizations who do this, the front lines sees a future customer. They identify with them. They feel with them. 
and they call everyone else from around the organization and go, hey, I got one here. I got a live one. I got a future customer. Gather around everyone. This is where the puck is. Let's skate to it. What are examples of companies that have actually done this? Because this is great. It sounds like theory. I have trouble envisioning companies actually mapping this out. So we, we talk about customer journey maps, sure. But an empathy map, that's, that's, uh, that's new stuff for me. I've never heard of that. I don't think we've, that, that's not a common you know, discussion point in the CX world that I'm aware of. Are there companies yeah. that are actually doing this? Yes. Um, again, I, I, the example literally in the book comes from the toolkit, the customer journey and persona toolkit from IBM. Again, they trained the entire company on customer experience and personas and, and um, design thinking. So this is one of those tools that you use to create a persona. But then we kind of leave this really powerful tool behind in the dust. I'm like, okay, we're done with that. We've created our persona. Let's just move on. And that's why I wanted to revise it because it's something that's so easy that every single person in the company can do and use. And you can build on it over time. It's not a static um, empathy map. And uh, the, the, the company who I love really, who does a great job of this, is uh, a, a very counterintuitive one. It's a Southern New Hampshire University. It, and uh, they are 3,000 people more or less on campus these days. But more importantly, they have an online unit that began 20 years ago that now serves 150,000 students all around the world. And they're an accredited nonprofit university. So you can get a degree, two-year or four-year degree, online completely. And they serve the non-traditional student, not the 18-year-old coming out of high school who wants to go to an Ivy League school. These are mid-career students. These are students who are working part-time, military coming back um, into, into civilian life. And they have huge call centers that do nothing but student success. And everything is oriented around the student. They will tell a student, you cannot continue with your studies because your grades are not strong enough. You're not conservative enough. You're not focused enough. We will not let you enroll again until we figure out what's going on. And so that's very different from a for-profit university that says, hey, sign up for another course, even though you didn't quite finish that one, just sign up for another one. Just, you know, just, no, everything is centered around student success. And, that's a, and that only comes when you are truly, truly there for that customer and their success, not for the profitability of the business. And they will clear a billion dollars in revenue this year. So this is, this is a small, tiny, little university in southern New Hampshire. I mean, what right do they have to be the largest accredited deliverer of degrees in the world? Why not Harvard or Stanford or anybody else? Because they're very clear about who the customer is that they're serving, who that future is. And they're now saying, hey, we could take this and, and serve refugees in Rwanda, in camps. And, and that will really force us to say, how far can we take our, our business model to serve new audiences? With the pandemic, they've gone even more further. It's like, how much more can we serve and take the knowledge we have about creating online education, compelling online education, and share that with other schools and universities? So this is an organization that has clearly disrupted higher education, but education in general, far, far ahead of anybody else in the world. And they did it because they're 100% focused on the student, that future student that they want to serve. It, it, it's a great example. It's wonderful to see um, a company that's off the beaten track. So you know, when we ask 
thought leaders, give us a great examples of something, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah, we're always going to get Amazon. We're going to get Zappos. We're going to get Southwest. We're going to get Apple. We're going to get, uh, you know, the, the, the usual suspects. No one brings up uh, this universe. No one brings up the education segment ever, much less Southern New Hampshire University. You're absolutely right. Yeah. By the way, they didn't get to a bowl game, did they? Right? Like, you know, you, you hear about universities in the U.S. these days, at least. It's all about where, where, how'd their football team do? But anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a great example. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let's talk a little bit more about, about disruption in customer care. And we talked about this quickly before we hit the record button. It, what I'm seeing is that you've got the big three. You've got Google, you've got Facebook, you've got Amazon that have made big pushes into the customer care space. They want to own what I call the last mile of the relationship or the contact point with the customer. That's through WhatsApp, through Facebook, through Facebook Messenger, um, and, and, and similar tools. They want to be very close. And what it seems to me is that their port of entry is through these messenger um, platforms, but they're not connecting warm bodies in the contact center to it. They're connecting automation to it. So very simple chat bots, voice bots. There's a lot of automation involved. They're not investing, it seems to me, in humans. They're not investing in touch points driven by humans, but touch points driven by automation. Is that accurate? Is that where they think the puck is going? I think, yeah, they, they believe that these conversational technologies can be really powerful and service fairly routine questions, like how do I reset my account, where is my refund, things like that, that are, that are, are, are fairly routine and can be handled in some ways better than a human can because they come back and instantaneously answer you. They can answer you at 3 o'clock in the morning. They can answer you without being tired. And yeah, why not? Let's, let's bring those technologies in. And one thing that's interesting about these conversational technologies, they never have a bad day. You know, so there's a consistency to it too as well. I, I love the human interactions and, and I'll talk about it later, just my latest customer experience interaction. And the 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 thing that I, I find though is that we humans can actually be better at empathy and doing these touch points with technology. I mean it's it's sometimes again we bring our own biases. And again, if we're tired or whatever, we may not hear that little bit, that tinge in that person's voice. And artificial intelligence can actually read tone. I mean, this is technology is being built into customer service departments now, where it can tell you the history of this person. They call in all the time, or this is the very first time, their five-star customer, this is the first time they've ever had anything. I mean, all that technology is there. You have that knowledge in front of you now. And but it also, in that interaction in real time, can tell and can pick up the speed at which someone's talking, their tone, and give you more information. Like, hey, take special care here. This person's really angry. They may not sound like it, but you can tell they're really angry. Sentiment. So, and it just gives you that additional information. So what's actually happening is that we may not always have our empathy radar on, and, intel and this technology and intelligence can give us empathy goggles, empathy glasses that we can help put on and be even better humans in this process. So yeah, I, I feel like in some ways, you know, Google, Facebook and everything, but they do not, they will never be able to quite have that um, human touch, so to speak, the spontaneity. 
But in some ways, they might actually be better at it. They will be able to have what I call artificial empathy because it, I think, I do believe artificial empathy is on the horizon where it will, you will not be able to tell it's a human or not talking to you. You actually may potentially have better empathy because of these technologies. It's something to think about there. It's a, it's a scary present and future. By the way, I agree. One of the most frustrating things is when Paul and I interact with customer care teams all the time and they're highly subjective. When they have a bad day, they don't feel well. They get COVID, they can't come to work. They don't come to work. And then what happens? Whereas the bot, the uh, automation, not subjective. They're not subject to those things. Right. They know how to react. They're programmed how to react. And it just, it just works, I think. That's, for me, what the present and future is. Yeah. I, I look at it this way. I, I, I really fear for what the future looks like in terms of job security and jobs and in general, especially as more and more of this becomes automated. And, and I do believe that we as companies specifically and us as communities and societies generally need to take that into account. I mean, this is the downside of progress and technology and disruption is that people get left behind. I mean, I, I, I talked to my kids who are graduating from college this year, and they were like, what are you going to do? I, I guarantee you the job you're going to get now is not going to be the job you have in 50 years when you're at the end of your career. You'll probably go through all these cycles. And we don't do, we're not honest with people again about what kind of retraining, reskilling, we, and reinvention we are all going to have to do in our careers. And again, organizations like SNHU, but even companies, I think, have a responsibility to be able to prepare people for that, and what that looks like. Absolutely. This is a great discussion. Let's uh, wind down to the final third. We always ask our guests to share three things. We would love to know your version of a CX myth that you'd like to bust, something that's commonly held, a, a sacred cow that you just take an ax to and destroy. <laughs> what would you mean? That there was an <laughs> ideal customer experience or journey. I, I see companies putting excruciating work into mapping out the customer journey, mapping out what that ideal customer experience looks like. And I would rather see that energy be built, put into, let's, let's build that, that empathy map again into and deeply into the organization and trust that people will know what the right thing to do, put in place the guidelines that help you understand what does that playing field look like? It, it being open and being flexible and, and being um, responsive requires guidelines. How open and responsive can I be? Because if I don't know what those guidelines are, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to stay right here and say no to everything. So we can't map out everything. So do there, the basics, there. do the bare minimum, and then just get out there and start implementing it. Love it. Share two CX quotes that mean something to you. Yes, I, I haven't been down here. There is no innovation and creativity without failure, period, from Brene Brown. I love that because it says if you think it's going to be perfect, that you can go out there and be creative and throw ideas out and everything is going to be great, you're never going to be truly innovative and creative unless you're comfortable coming up with really big duds, <laughs> having a lot of yeah. really awful ideas. And it's okay. It goes to the 
it goes to the, the thought that it's some of the other quote that comes up frequently is it's something like, you know, fail often, fail fast, right? It's okay to fail. Do it. Yeah. Fail. Fail a lot. Just yeah. get over it. Get over it, yourself, do it, and move on. You know, that's one of the, the biggest things is people don't set out to fail, though, right? We set out to be innovative. We set out to be creative. But as any artist knows, you mess up a lot along the way. I'm a classically trained pianist. You know how many times I have to practice a particular new piece to get past a particular point, but I won't get there unless I fail a lot. You know, I'm, I'm doing watercolors now, my sort of pandemic new hobby. It's really hard because you can't really control where that water goes. <laughs> it's just like a lot of things don't work out the way I think they're gonna be, but it's creativity in the process. By the way, it also resonates with the story you told about Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky didn't just become great. He became great because his father set him down and had him plan out and understand and watch and prepare where that puck was going to go, right? Right. Got it. You have another quote for us. Yes. Um, Empathy requires knowing that you know nothing by Leslie Jameson. Empathy requires, say it again, empathy requires. Empathy requires knowing that you know nothing. Wow. Explain if you can. Yeah, when you have empathy and you see somebody, you want to have empathy for them. It's not sympathy and not feeling sorry for them. To have empathy, you have to leave everything that you know about yourself and about that person, about that situation behind. So you're walking into that person's person's shoes completely open to anything that may come your way. And, and there's some real tough realities that may come your way. I, I think a lot of us have experiences with the turmoil over the summer with the, uh, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, we never knew. I mean, we had no idea it was hitting us so hard that we could have true empathy for Black Americans in their experiences. It was, a, it was so, for so many of us the first time we ever had even an inkling of what that experience was like. And it's brutal, it's difficult. If you truly wanna stand in a black person's shoes, it's overwhelming. But that's why it requires that you leave everything behind. Assume that you know nothing about their experience because if you bring your own understanding what that black experience is, you're putting your stamp on it and not truly seeing theirs. Excellent, thank you for sharing that. Uh, let's go to the final third of the final third, CX Heroes. Who are they? I'm, I'm really eager for this one. Um, I'll tell you, I, I recently, I, I just ordered a new mic, and it was really hard because I, this is my third try. The first one got canceled because they were out of stock. Another person said, oh, we shipped it. Well, no, we didn't ship it. We're canceling your order. And then I went to Sweetwater, which is like a music group, and they said, yeah, we're going to be in stock. They had it on their website. We're going to be in stock next week. I'm like, wow, they actually said we're out of stock, but we're getting stock here. We'll ship it then. I went ahead and ordered it. Okay, like at least there's some transparency. Thank goodness. It'll at least there's something because nobody else was telling me anything. And then after I ordered, I got a phone call. It was a Sweetwater representative saying, thank you so much for your order. Just wanted to make sure that you knew that this is out of order and will not ship until a week from now. Are you okay with that? because we have some other things that we could send you in the meantime until this is available. And, and because they go, you might be a musician who really needs a mic right away. We want to be extra clear that you are going to be set. Look how you're using this for a gig. I mean, I was blown away. 
that somebody would actually call me and say, we can't fulfill your order in time. Are you okay with that? And then I get it and they send me this little packet of candy that says our sweet way of saying thank you from Sweetwater, just on top of it, just literally sugar on top of everything else. So I, I find that to be just, I was blown away by this just to get the call. And I am going to buy all my equipment from Sweetwater from now on just to be able to talk to a wonderful representative from there. They took the time to understand what I do, asked me how I was using the mic, what my video setup was. And they could have just said, yeah, okay, great. Thank you, goodbye. No, they truly wanted to know who I was and what I was doing and enter it into their database. Amazing. They actually followed, without maybe they read your book, but they actually followed and wanted to know the persona, the empathy. They wanted, to know, they wanted to know who I was. Literally, they went around the empathy map. Like, what are you doing? How are you thinking about this? What are you feeling? What are you seeing? I mean, like, what's going on in your life? They really, truly wanted to know me, and I felt known. That is a great customer experience. Excellent. Is that it for your sales heroes? Uh, that's my biggest one right now. I, I am also very intrigued by uh, Martin Lindstrom's new book, The Ministry of Common Sense. Uh, basically, he paints a picture of like, why does nothing seem to work? It's like a, a, a surfeit of common sense in our world today. And he lays out a way to actually systematically put common sense back into our organizations. You think about customer experience, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? Serve your customers well, listen to them and make sure when they move from one part of the organization to another, it's good. But we look around our organizations and we see we're dumbfounded by, uh, dumbfounded by all these things that go wrong all the time. Like, why doesn't this get fixed? And he has this roadmap of how to actually do that. So I, I get very excited when I see frameworks like this and Barton is a very wise soul in terms of thinking and breaking through all of this mess that's in, in our lives today. And it provides clarity and vision of what that looks like. Superb. As we wrap up here, I want to make sure that uh, our audience once again is reminded the disruption mindset is the book. Please read it. Remind the audience they can obtain the book where it's available hardcover, softcover, Kindle. Yeah, where, where hardcover, um, hardcover, Kindle, audiobook. Uh, you can find it on any sort of retailer there. You can find more information and lots of resources like assessments and workbooks on my site, charlinglee.com. And you can follow me on LinkedIn. It's a place where I'm probably most active. I have live streams regularly. Um, and so I encourage you to, to follow me, to connect with me, and stay in touch. I would love to hear what your disruption journey is like, because that's how we get better at all of this. So I encourage you to get in touch. Superb. I'm going to wrap up the show for Paul. And I didn't give him the chance to say at the beginning what he always says, but I know he would wrap up by saying the following. He would say, like he does on all Fridays, he says, I'm buzzing because we just had a sensational interview. And by the way, it's such injustice to, to the way he says it. But uh, this was a great session. This buzzed with energy and ideas, most importantly, ideas, disruptive ideas. I had never thought about, I, I have not been a big fan of empathy. I haven't. I've been more of a fan of resolution, just getting to the point of taking care of the problem. But you can't get to the problem, to fixing the problem if you don't understand the journey that's there that created it. 
and the person that's there communicating the problem to you. I think the empathy, this, this, this conversation has made me rethink that a bit and to think through that you can actually map out, create an empathy map, brand new concept. Absolutely. Charlene, you're a wonderful guest. Thank you. We wish you all the best. We hope you will come back at some point because you're someone I think that is definitely worth following and tracking and keeping in touch with. Congratulations on having your book name to uh, uh, added to that uh, prestigious list. And we look forward to absolutely following you and uh, consuming your content and figuring out ways to understand how to be more disruptive in our own organization. Thank you so much. It was great to have you. Thank you again for having me. This has been another episode of Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Cathro. Follow Neil and Paul on Twitter at Neil Toff and at PaulCat72. Podcast feedback and topic suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.